Awesome. Well, hey, in 2007, British indie folk rock band Mumford & Sons was formed. In 2008, they released their first album. And one thing I love about the Mumford & Sons, it's not just the, well, it's the banjo for sure. It's the, it's the mandolin. It's, it's the, uh, you listen to them and you feel like you're, you might be Amish all of a sudden. Uh, at least those first two albums. But, uh, man, they, these guys believed in, them, in themselves. They self-funded their first album without any record label, anything like that. They went into the studio, and in 2008, their hit album, Sigh No More, was released. Now, that kind of exploded them in fame and everybody knowing who they are. They went from just playing random pubs in the UK to playing venues all over the world to eventually getting to the arena level. And then in 2012, their biggest album of all was released, at least in the United States. And as we know, if it's not a hit in the United States, it doesn't matter what Great Britain thinks, okay? We had Fourth of July this, this week, okay? That should tell us that it doesn't matter what they think. Taxes, nah, no thanks. We beat you. We're a part of that. Okay, we're, we're not a part of that anymore. So... In the United States, this album absolutely blew up. Their hit single, I Will Wait, hit number 12 at the peak of our charts. It sold 153,000 copies in its first week. And I think as we listen to, well, as, as you listen to Mumford & Sons, um, apart from a couple of songs that have a little square next to them with the E inside, uh, you listen to these lyrics and you're like, man, like these guys, they've got to know Jesus. Or they've at least had to be exposed to Jesus. Turns out, lead singer Marcus Mumford, his parents uh, were a big part of the church planting movement of the vineyard churches as he was growing up. Uh, lead banjo, lead guitar player, um, totally forgot his name. He's a believer as well. But you listen to these words. And these guys are basically, if you're, if you're in here and you're like, who is Mumford & Sons? Um, it's not a moving company. It's just some really talented uh, musicians. Um, just think like, think they are the U2 of my generation, okay? You're like, I don't know. Does Bono love Jesus? It seems like he does. And then I, don't, I just can't tell. They're not a Christian band, but are they Christians in a band? That's basically Mumford and Sons. And as you listen to this song, I will wait, I will wait for you, you can think, man, is this, are these lyrics about Jesus? And it turns out they're absolutely not. They are about a girl. Uh, shocker. This song is about a long-distance relationship uh, during life on the road, and uh, but you can you can take those lyrics and you can redeem them for the kingdom. So I uh, I've always loved this song. I, I literally think it could just be the banjo, and it's just and just it's it's backwoodsy, but in a good way, in a modern way. But uh, I think lately more than ever, we're just we're waiting for a lot of things in our house. We're waiting for a lot of things here as a church. Um, I would say probably not most important, but definitely uh, most hype level right now in our house isn't that, you know, we have a baby boy on the way. It's that Trolls 3 is coming out in theaters in no November 12th, in case you were wondering. Um, it's going to be good. It's based around a, a boy band of Trolls this time. I think it's going to be pretty popular. But our girls are just super fired up for that, uh, way more fired up than they are for their little brother to get here. But for me and Rachel, sane people, we are very excited for Joshua to get here. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be last night. I'm not going to lie to you. So I will wait. I will wait for him. As a church, we are certainly waiting on a lot of things. There's so many things in our lives where we are looking to see 
God move. I think as a church, we're waiting for the moment where we can get some land to where we can get a building on it, where we can become an established part of this community. But I think there's so many things that we can, we can wait on that we miss things along the way. And so as we dive into today's psalm, um, let's dive into these lyrics, because I think these lyrics really kind of encapsulate Psalm 27 as David is writing today. But I think what David is saying is, as you're waiting, I know we talked about waiting two, three weeks ago. This is really a deeper dive into what it means to wait. This is a deeper dive, and don't get distracted about this or that. As a church, don't get distracted about land. Don't get distracted about a building. Don't miss God every step along the way, because if you miss God now, then surely by the time you get to the destination, you're not going to be the believer. You're not going to be the person. You're not going to be the church that God has called you to be. And so today as a church, let's hone in. Where is God? Where is he? Where is his presence? Are we looking to him? Where is he in our waiting? Can we be confident in him? So I'll be bold as well as strong and use my head alongside my heart. So take my flesh, fix my eyes, a tethered mind free from the lies. How is this song not about a life with Jesus? How is this a song about a girl? Uh, that doesn't reflect my marriage by any means, okay? <laughs> this is definitely like, this is what I experience in my marriage every day. So raise my hands, paint my spirit gold, and bow my head, keep my heart slow, because I will wait. I will wait for you. First point today, as we read Psalms 27, only 14 verses today, uh, unlike 22 last week, we have confidence in the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversities and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. What do we see here in the first three verses of Psalm 27? We see that the Lord saves us. And it's not just within these first three verses. We can kind of take this out and expand it throughout the entirety of this psalm. We see that he saves us from our enemies. We see that in verses 6 and in verses 11. Our enemies are people that don't like us. Our enemies are people that oppose us situationally. Our enemies are people that oppose us socially. They don't like us because of something we did, because of something they did and how we reacted, or because of something someone else did that involved the two parties. Who else does the Lord save us from? We see that in verse 2. He saves us from evil doers. Not only do they really not like us, but they also really like evil. It says that they eat up my flesh. Anytime you talk about something, someone in this manner throughout the Old Testament, especially in Psalms, it is referring to those people as wild animals. Now, these are people that don't just oppose you situationally and socially. Now, these are people that oppose you spiritually. Now, everyone in this room has someone that is their enemy, someone that doesn't like them. But I would say also, as a believer in this room, as a part of this church, as a part of any kingdom movement where the gospel is being advanced, you will be opposed not just situationally, not just socially, you will also be opposed spiritually because we have an enemy that is prowling around like a lion. He is seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy you. 
me, this church, as believers, as people taking the light of Jesus out into the world, we are opposed. Why? Because their darkness hates our light. Why does darkness hate light? Because light exposes everything that is concealed in the dark. All right? So you live the life Jesus has called you to live. You get around people who aren't living the life Jesus has called them to live, but actually in direct opposition, now there's an issue because now you're exposing everything they want to keep hidden. In verse 12, we also see that the Lord saves us from liars. These aren't just people that don't like us. These aren't just people that don't like people that live for Jesus, that like evil. These are people that don't like the truth. These are people that oppose us principally. These are people that oppose us conversationally. Their false narrative despises the reality that's actually taking place. And these people will do everything that they can to twist the truth, to twist perception, to go against you. So we are saved. The Lord saves us from our enemies. The Lord saves us from evildoers. The Lord saves us from liars. But how does he save us? We can see in the life of David that the Lord saves David by his presence. It is the presence of God in David's life that saves David over and over and over again. But this isn't just the Old Testament that we are talking about today. As New Testament, as New Covenant believers, we are brought into the picture. As we learned last week, we are grafted in. It's not just the Jews anymore. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. And so how are we saved? How does the Lord save us? Well, certainly is his presence in our present, in our lives, as we have right relationship with him, but it is also forever and into eternity. David, the psalmist here, he calls the Lord our light and our salvation. We see that the Lord brought light into David's life. We see that the Lord saves David ultimately over and over again from darkness and from despair. We see that the Lord provides David a way out. He brings light into his life, and he brings light into our lives. We see that in Isaiah 49, verse 6. The second part of that verse, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But then we have Jesus. Jesus is in the picture now, and in Jesus, we aren't just saved from our enemies. We aren't just saved situationally. We're not just saved physically or emotionally. We are saved spiritually. And in Jesus, we are saved not just from our enemies, but from the root of all of our issues, which is sin, from their sin. How are we saved? We're saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. We are saved because Jesus was victorious over sin. We are saved because Jesus lived the perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He was fully God. He was fully man. He never once sinned. He went to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for your sin and for my sin, any sin that we would ever sin. And then he died in our place. And we received something that we could never earn, which is his righteousness. We are saved in Jesus. Not just now, not just in the moment, but forever and into eternity. And then it says, that Jesus, that the Lord, is our stronghold. So he's our light, he's our salvation, he is also our stronghold. The stronghold means that he is our source of strength. David ran to God, he runs to the Lord, he runs to Yahweh to be his strength, 
but he doesn't run to anything else. He just runs to God and he runs to God alone. What could David have run to? Well, he could have run to a lot of things. He could have run to his strength. He could have run to his might. He could have run to his armies. David had some guys called his mighty men. These guys would just slay like thousands of people by like the jawbone of a donkey, a spear, all kinds of stuff. Maybe that was Samson with the jawbone of the donkey. But these are some bad dudes nonetheless, all right? They were taking people down left and right. Surely he had strength in them, but did he run to them? No, he didn't. Do we run to anything that is considered our strength, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's social strength? No, because none of those things can save us. Who do we run to? We run to our stronghold, and that is the Lord. David could have ran to his influence, the influence he had over other people. He could have run into the influence of someone else that wasn't the Lord, and I think this is something that we are so quick to do. Who do we run to when we're stressed out, when we have an issue with our kids? Well, we run to our phone, we pull it out, and we go to this little blue square with an F in it. And maybe it's not the influence that we have. I know anytime I go to Facebook, I'm looking at those notifications. There's still not any. (laughs) I'm looking around, I guess I don't have much influence. And I'm basing my standing with the Lord or in life or just how I'm doing as a person off of some social media algorithm. Maybe we're not going to social media to see how we're doing with other people. Maybe we're going to see how other people are doing with us. And we're just video after video, scroll after scroll, influence after influence in our lives. And that's not what we're called to do, at least not for our strength, not for our stronghold. I'm not saying social media is ultimately evil. That'll probably be in a couple weeks. But I think... We can use it, but if we run to it as our Savior, that's never what it was designed to be. It's a false God if that's what we put it on the throne as if we're going to worship it, if it's Jesus, and we're not. So it's not God plus David's armies. It's not God plus David's influence. It's not God plus David's wealth or our wealth or our retirement or how we're doing. Socioeconomically, it is God and God alone. And so my question for you as a church today, and I ask myself this question often, is where's your stronghold? Where are you running? When your strength runs out and you need more strength, are you running to the Lord or are you running a thousand other different places? I'd say if you're running other places, know this, there is grace. There is mercy. Remember that sin Jesus died for? Idolatry is a sin as well. And when we place things above the Lord, we need forgiveness from it. So second question who can beat me? In God and in God alone as our stronghold, who can beat us? Absolutely nobody. Who can beat us? Nobody. Line them up. It's just going to be bump, 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 bump. Another one bites the dust every time, all day long. I should have had some music to go with that. Didn't think about it. Line them up. It's just going to be some more queen. It's going to be Everybody, we will, we will rock you. That's a worship song right there. And it's a beautiful one. And you can line the enemy up all day long. The evildoers, the liars, the people that are just opposing you in life. And in the Lord, when you find strength in him, not in your own retaliation, not in the conversation or the argument that you thought through all night last night, when you rely on him and him alone, line them up, knock them down. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. The second thing that we see in Psalm 27 is that we have shelter in the Lord, and this is so beautiful here. Verses 4 through 6, one thing I asked of the Lord, 
that, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, safe from everything around. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make a melody to the Lord. There are three things that we get right off the bat as we read this, and that is that David dwelled in the house of the Lord. He hides us. The Lord hides us in his shelter, and he covers us in his tent. Now, what's really cool about this, you have to dig just a little bit deeper, is that each of these places that are listed here are places of worship. So David would have called the tabernacle God's house. And in God's house, we are covered and we are sheltered. We are covered and we are sheltered. We are safe from what is outside and we are comforted by what is inside. And that is the presence of God. So what do we do? Now that we've run to God as our stronghold, we've run to him as our shelter, we've come into the house of the Lord, well, now we play everybody's favorite game growing up, hide and seek. And I'm not saying our normal hide and seek where we go and we do something bad and we hide from the Lord and we go and we seek forgiveness later. What I'm talking about is we hide from the Lord, or from the world. Woo! Hide from the world. World, Lord, those are close. There's O's and R's in there. Anyways, we hide from the world. We hide from the things that are taking place outside that are threats on our lives, and we seek the Lord in worship. Now, we worship when we dwell. Remember, all of this is we are supposed to dwell in these three places, these places of worship. So to dwell, it means three different things that we don't like to do. To dwell means to sit, and to sit it means to stop. It means to be. It means to rest. As we dwell, we inquire. To dwell means to inhabit, to physically, spiritually, emotionally, wholly be present. And it means to remain. And to remain means to abide. So we are to be mentally, spiritually, emotionally connected. Now for you and me, this is something that we do weekly. This is something that we do every Sunday at 10 here at Asante Preparatory Academy. Thank you for being here at Asante Church this morning. You get two things every morning, every Sunday morning when you walk in, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Every Sunday, we gather together for worship. But it's not just Sunday mornings that that takes place. If, if worship, communal worship, corporate worship as a body of believers were a meal, could we get by on just one meal a week? Absolutely not. We'd be spiritually starved. So it's not just Sunday mornings, it's Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning before you get to church, Sunday evening after church. It's not just in the mornings, it's in the evenings, it's on our lunch break. We dwell on the Word, on the word day in and day out. But on Sundays, we gather together, and we gather together to physically worship God. Hebrews 10, 25, it's a good verse, especially for pastors that, you know, um, get a little frustrated with attendance every now and then, but the author of Hebrews is calling it out right here. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. That's the call out right there. 
Hey, you guys keep meeting together. I know things are going to get crazy in your life. Keep meeting together. Keep coming together to worship the Lord. When you get together, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we gather together. We don't neglect the gathering together. And as we gather together, what do we do? We connect mentally. We connect spiritually. We connect emotionally. All to worship God. Jesus puts it like this. John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That means as we wait, we worship. As we hunker down in the shelter of the Lord, that we worship him and we worship him as we dwell and we dwell when we abide and we abide when we connect. And when we connect, we worship and we worship when we spend time in God's presence. And it's not just spending time in his presence. It is also worshiping him through praise as we sing. It is worshiping him through prayer as we have a conversation that is back and forth with him. And we worship him as we study and we apply his word. Let me tell you the importance of studying God's word. It is something that has absolutely changed my life, but it cannot be something that only happens here on Sunday morning. If studying God's word is something that you are struggling with, I beg of you, please get my phone number, text me, call me, beat me. If you want to reach me, email me, whatever you need to do. I don't have a beeper, actually. Nobody should have a beeper anymore. But we've got to understand God's word if we're going to read God's word. We can't just read it and get nothing out of it. And know that if you've put your trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is within you, then it's the same job of the Holy Spirit that inspired the scriptures to be written to illuminate the scripture as we read it. And so let's read it to take something away from it. Reading God's word is always been a struggle for me. I became a believer around the age of eight, and God has continually had to convict me to dive deeper and deeper into his word. One of the driest times in my entire relationship with the Lord was in Bible college, where I was studying God's word so broad, so wide, that I was two miles wide, but I was only about two, three inches deep in my relationship with God. And even times as a pastor and in the life of this church, I will spend 20, 30 hours studying scripture for a sermon and I will completely neglect my personal spiritual life with Jesus and just leave it as fruit that is out on the tree that is going to fall off and rot and I'm not even going after it. I will say that this is something that I've struggled with, but this is something that has changed in my life And there's been seasons, as some of you who are seasoned veteran believers know, that sometimes you and the Lord are just flying high. And sometimes you're in the valley. Sometimes you can't get out of the Word. And sometimes, man, it just takes all the strength within you to just pick it up and turn to a psalm, turn to a proverb. And so I want you to know this morning, if that's a struggle that you have, you're not alone. I'm just as messed up as you are. Actually, I promise you 100%, I'm more messed up than you are. I've got to take it to the Lord. There was something that Jacob shared with us at the men's retreat. It is an app called Glorify. And I don't know if this thing is just geared for my brain or what, but you open the app, you set up your account, you dive into like a five-part devotional every day. 
It starts with a quote, and the quote is just the appetizer before the meal. You go from the quote into the scripture, from the scripture to, all right, like, hey, when I'm listening to this, because I listen because I can intake it better if I listen to it than if I read it. I guess it's an Australian company that put this thing out, and some, some Australian dude is reading the word of God to me, which is like the word of God, and then an Australian voice, okay? And that's probably how it was meant to be read. And so an Australian voice is reading it to me, and then it goes from the scripture into a devotional that backs up exactly what you just read in the Bible. And so if you are one of those people that questions, God, I just read this, but I have no stinking idea what you meant when you said this. Well, now you have somebody to read it to you every single day to explain what the reading was actually meaning. And then after that, it goes into a time of prayer where it takes the scripture, it takes the devotional thought, and it prays that into application in your life. And then at that point, you unlock bonus content, okay? Look, man, this thing was like designed for gamers or something. And so when you get the bonus content, it's an illustration from this or that that was preached a week or however long before. But man, this has absolutely transformed my walk with the Lord. And sometimes we are at a place in our lives where we need to rely on something outside to get us to where we need to be with Jesus. Now, here's the kicker for me. This bad boy tracks every day you read your Bible, and it gives you this little lightning bolt. And then it has a calendar. (laughs) And on this calendar, you can double your lightning bolts if you go into the bonus content. And so where am I every day? I'm in the quote, I'm in the scripture, I'm in the devotional, I'm in the applicational prayer, and then I'm in the bonus content, because I don't just want one point, I want two points. What are points in this Glorify app? You guys are just getting a whole commercial this morning. They're water droplets, and when you first create your account, it takes your little seed of your account and it puts it in dirt. Every time you read, every time you pray, every time you do the devotional, it gives you one water droplet, and it waters that plant. And it starts off as just a little sapling. And I'm telling you right now, after 27 days straight, I got a full-blown tree, okay? (laughs) And it's a beautiful thing. And are they tricking me to loving Jesus more? 100%. Am I okay with it? Heck yeah, I am. All right? Uh, I guess it's off the Australian time zone because I Instead of having my quiet time at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I had it at 6 o'clock one night, and it said I missed a day. And I was like, this is the end of the world. This might be revelations right here. Jesus, I didn't mean to. It's the time zone's fault. And so I got to use one of my little water droplets, repair that streak. Boom, I'm good to go. And if you don't count it, that's, that's messed up, because I do. We dwell in the Word. We abide in the Word How can we be inside of God's will if we are not inside of God's word? How can we know his word if we are not in it? How do we know what it means to be a believer if we are not in his word? How would you know what being a Christian was if it was not passed down from the word of God all the way to you where you are at today? We have to spend time in the word. We have to spend time consistently, consistently with quality. We have to be in the Word to where it engages our hearts, where it engages our minds. And then at that point of abiding in Jesus, that is when it transforms and changes who you are. So now, this is a weird point in the psalm where it's like, all right, God, you and me. If it were a Taylor Swift song, it would be like our song. Our song is a slam screen door. You know that song? It's a little bit different uh, key than when Taylor sang it, okay? Um, It kind of goes from our song all the way to uh, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. That's where we're at in the psalm right now from verse 7 all the way through 14. There's a major shift here. And what we take out of 
7 through 12, is that we have favor in the Lord. Remember, here's the shift. David and God were good before this. Now it's like, uh uh-oh, what happened? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Well, that's interesting. You have been my help. So now all of a sudden David is feeling like, God, are you there or are you not there? Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses have risen against me. Four false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. What is David saying here? He's saying the same prayer that I promise you, you have prayed time after time again. I have prayed time after time again. Jesus, don't just deliver me from my enemies, but Jesus, deliver me from what I deserve. Don't just deliver me from them. Jesus, deliver me from myself. Don't just deliver me from their actions. Jesus, deliver me from my actions. God, don't be angry with me. God, don't just toss me aside. God, don't just walk out on me. And then there's an acknowledgement. God, you have every reason to walk out on me. But it's your grace and your mercy that keep you present in my life. And in fact, it's not often you who walks out on me, but it's me who walks out on you because of the sin in my life. And I think that is probably the story for a lot of us. I know that's been the story in my life time after time again, is that I feel distant from the Lord. And it's not that the Lord isn't there. It's that I am not thinking about the Lord. His presence isn't in the forefront of my mind. And so I start to walk in a direction that isn't the Lord. I start to be the prodigal son. I start to ask for my inheritance from the Father, go off and spend it however I want to. But then I realize I can return home. And instead of like the prodigal son who has to travel a distance to get to home, and then the father sees him on the hill and he runs to him. By the way, the only time in scripture where God is ever presented as being in a rush is running to the lost son to receive him, to welcome him back home. For you and me, as soon as we realize, God, I haven't been in your will. God, I haven't been waiting patiently on you. God, you haven't been my stronghold. God, I haven't been abiding in you We turn around and there's Jesus to welcome us back, to pick us up, to carry us home. The road home is always short for the believer because forgiveness through the grace and mercy of Jesus is always right there. And David says, God, keep doing what you've always done. God, keep hearing me. Keep being gracious to me. God, keep saving me. God, keep being there when no one else is there for me. Not even my mother, not even my father. Why is he saying all of this? He's saying all of this for one reason, and that is so that I can seek you more. And God, as I seek you more, teach me your ways. I've already found out that my ways, they're not the right ones. Me pursuing my enemies outside of your will, that's not it. Me doing whatever I want in my own strength, and my own influence, and my own power, and my own finances, that's not it. I've got to rely on you. So Lord, teach me your ways. Lead me down your paths and show me how to apply your commands in my life.
ultimately, God, make me more like you. Form me more into the pattern, more into the image of your son. Make me less like me. Make me less like my enemies because I want to abide in you even more. Fourth and final thing we see today is that we have patience with and we have patience in the Lord. Verses 13 and 14, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What we see here is that waiting requires belief. And this is where we have to get transparent. This is where we have to be genuine and authentic and say that there are times in our lives as fallen human beings, as people that have been marked by sin in a fallen world, where we feel like we need to be patient with the Lord. God, if you would just move in my time. God, if you would just do what I think your will is. God, if I could just see you here. But the whole time we're looking for God to move in that one spot, we're missing him where he's actually moving in this spot. Waiting requires belief. That is having patience with God. Belief that in Jesus, there are only better days ahead. Belief that God is working in the background no matter what. He is the background downloader. And we may just be looking at the icons on our desktop, but meanwhile, there's something happening in the C drive, the D drive, the E drive of your computer, and you have no idea. But God is at work. It says to look upon the goodness of the Lord. And so we believe, we consider his character. He is good. He gives generously to us even when we don't deserve it. And we consider what he's done. We consider the enemies that he's conquered in our lives. We consider the shelter that he has provided over and over for us. And that's not where it ends. But we imagine what he will do. We imagine what he is at work doing right now in the land of the living. That can also be translated in the arena of life. You are the man, you are the woman in the arena. You've got your sword in your hand. You have your shield drawn to extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. There is blood on your brow. There is dirt that is clinging to your sweat because you are fighting in the Lord. Believe that he has your back. Believe that he is working just as he has worked and keep fighting in the arena of life. Final thing this morning. Waiting requires strength and courage. And this is having patience in the Lord. This is a renewable resource. As we wait for God, God moves. And as he moves, we acknowledge him. Remember, we think about who he is, his character. We think about what he's done. We think about what he is doing. But that acknowledgement paired with the Holy Spirit leads to more strengthening, more patience, and more resolve. That means that we rinse and we repeat. We rinse and we repeat. We think about the Lord as we wait on the Lord. What have you done? What are you doing? What will you do? And that with the Holy Spirit inside of you will make patience with the Lord happen because of you are patient in the Lord. So we will wait. We will wait for him. As we fight in the arena of life, we will think about how good of a God he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. Let's pray.